The Writer's Room, a 7th C podcast, is endorsed by Chaosium, Inc. For more information, visit www.chaosiuminc.com forward slash 7th C and use the code WRITER10 for 10% off your next site-wide purchase. Limit one per customer. Hello, hello, friends. Come on in. That's right. Today is the day. Now, as I'm sure you've noticed, everything is already laid out for you because all of our officers, Raven, V, Nightingale, Covington, Stuart, Tarkin, Cheshire, Thrith, Durs, and Melouette, are all just as excited to be a part of the finale as you were. And so, they're all sitting here, ready and waiting. Let me get on to the announcements, shall we? First and foremost, if you are attending Gen Con, the Crit Awards are happening August 3rd at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you're not attending Gen Con, there will be a live stream of the award ceremony to which I will be streaming. And so, if you'd like to join me in attending the Crit Awards, feel free to dress up your best and come join me. My second announcement is that there is no mid-reel. I didn't want to break the flow, and so the mid-reel is going to be here, and it's going to be very brief. The Writer's Room is brought to you by the Crafty Gamer, Tenquil's Dice, in part by Many Worlds Tavern, Ocean Blue Ceramic, and listeners like you. This mini-series, New Horizons, The Fate of the Thorn, was made possible by the crew of the Storyteller Squad. Natalie, Durs, Brittany, Emery, and a day. I literally couldn't have done it without you. So thank you for letting me run this game and tell this incredible story. And also a special thank you to Quinn, Gabe, Paul, Evan, and Patrick for lending your voices. This might be the finale, but there is an epilogue to happen afterwards. I did say there were 13 episodes. Even though I can't count, I can adhere to a certain number, especially when it's my favorite. Now, last we left off, the Numenari soldiers were approaching the innocent explorers in the garden, which is a problem for Diego and Amboise specifically, while Dalla, Angelica, and Mallory have a god to put back to bed. We're going to begin in the writer's room to set up the risk for a day and Durs, and then dive right into the chaos. So, without further ado, Article 12. What could have been? Diego, and Amboise, how are you approaching this little action sequence? So when you're dealing with the orthodox, you have to approach with the unorthodox. Diego rips off the two little swashbuckle shields that were on the back of his wrists so he can pick up two full shields that the Numenari soldiers had. And he's going to be the boulder to break through the lines and knock them out of their formation so it's easy for Amboise to come along and 
have all sorts of openings. That sounds like a brawn and brawl, if I've ever heard it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. Take two for Flair. Amboise, what do we got? So, Amboise is going to, as the kids say, stunt on them. He's <laughs> going to put a little bit of panache in his moves. And probably do panache and weaponry. He could flex on them instead. No, no, we're going to stunt on them. I like stunting on <laughs> Fuck. Take two for flair. That's amazing. I love you. And if you have any other things that would grant you bonus dice, such as brawler or fencer or... Being large and in charge. Being large would absolutely help, since you're just a shield wall. The Numenares are not paying attention to any of you. They are going after the easiest targets, which are, unfortunately, the workers. There is a bunch of opportunities here. You've got Estevan's folk who are out there fighting. You've got the miners themselves who aren't really great at it, but can throw you implements of digging equipment to be used as improvised weapons. If you would like to spend hero points to help each other, now would be the perfect time to do so. If you do, you grant each other three extra dice. If you don't and choose to help yourself, you grant yourself one die. Natalie, it looks like you had something to say. All our hero points have reset at this point, right? No more carryover? Yes, they do. Perfect. So Valiant Spirit gives me two. I'm going to use one for Amboise. And I'm also going to use Helping Hand to give an extra three bonus die without spending the hero point. So that's a total of six. Thanks. I hate it. So Amboise takes six extra dice. Disgusting. Ugh. Ade, are you going to choose to help Diego? Absolutely, because walking around with two shields is its own... Mmm. It's a time. Diego, take three extra dice, and if you're ready, you can roll the bones. Yeah. Three brawn, three weaponry, two flare, one large, three help. That's twelve. Oh, yeah. I will also roll some bones for these Newman soldiers. I'm trying to figure out if there's a way I can make these numbers work. There's one traitor die there. Oh, wait, wait a second. I forgot. I have three in weaponry. Which means you can re-roll one die. Which makes the question of, do I re-roll that ten so I can get rid of this traitor? Or do I re-roll the traitor to hopefully get a ten? How high is the traitor? A seven. I would re-roll the ten. That seems reliable. A reliable way to get rid of a traitor, at least. Though you risk ending up with two traitor dice. Small risk. All right, lads, what do we have for raise counts? Six with no traders. A fortuitous six raises and no traders. I love that both of you rolled the exact number of raises. Get some real bro time in. Group A has three raises. Group B has four raises. Doesn't matter. They're not going to be going first. Can everybody just quickly remind me where they are at as far as wounds and dramatic wounds are concerned? Dala fully healed me with her rune magic last time? Not fully, but... For now, Angelica, all of your wounds are clear, so you're back technically to zero, but you still have those dramatic wounds from previous. Mallory took a dramatic wound when the Fury, like, whipped their arm up. Dala's got four wounds and one dramatic wound. Diego, if you had one dramatic wound already, you should have definitely added a die from that. I did not. I only had four regular wounds. Oh, okay. 
Dang. <laughs> like, somebody slap me. Oh my god. Ooh, that would have been spicy, though, to roll one more die. And Amboise, you don't have anything, right? Zero. What's their total strength? Their total strength is 12 together. Why? What are you about to do? Are you about to make me really angry? So I was going to kill them all on my turn. I don't know what you want to do on your turn. All right, Durs. Do you want to go first, then? I think Durs should go first so you can save Amboise to, like, take on whatever Zoe's hiding behind that very curt smile of theirs. Whatever Zoe's revenge with her five danger points is going to be. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you should be a little scared. Anyway, let's begin, shall we? And in case you forgot what happened, here it is again. Spartiatas! Natasgoskun! All of the Numenari soldiers stand to attention, snap their heads over at anything they can find, and immediately begin running for them. Spears down, shields out, they're going. Diego looks over at Amboise, who is armed with only a knife. Frere! And charges towards him and reaches into his backpack, pulling out two rapiers for Amboise. And you best believe he takes those. And I don't know if you're interested because you mentioned having Amboise be sort of the rallying point for the people. If Diego puts Amboise on his shoulders so that it's harder for anyone to stab Amboise because he always has the high ground on everyone he's coming into contact with. That's gonna be weird. Yes. Yes. And we're going in. Fuck, yes. Yes, 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 yes. You're wielding shields. He's wielding himself. He's wielding Amboise. (laughs) Thank you, Brittany. Oh my god. And right before one spear is about to, like, stab some other dude right in the face, we see Estevan come in, take his shovel, smack it up in the air, bash the helmet so that it spins on the head a bit, and look back at Amboise. Senor, we've got some trouble! Monsieur, we are the trouble. You don't have to worry about them. Not anymore. All right, Diego. Why don't you take the camera? And uh, you describe to me how it is that you and Amboise, because Amboise is on your shoulders, take out these 12 guys. So they set up in their groups of six, their, you know, shield wall with their spears protruding. Really good formation. Well braced, (laughs) good distance, overlapping shields. We love a good phalanx. Yeah. Unfortunately, Diego has enough time to get up to full charging speed. I'm going to spend all six raises, and then I'm going to spend a hero point to double the amount of wounds I deal to a brute squad. Hell yeah, Diego. Hell yeah. So this hulking, dual shield wheeling man overlaps them completely. Nothing is breaking through to him and smashes through, breaking apart their formation. And while they're scrambling around, he charges into the next second group to break their formation. And then as the first group is getting up, then he runs over there and charges them again. And while Diego is knocking them aside with his shields, there are plenty of openings for Amboise to stab. Okay. I still take the 12 because these are trained soldiers, but 12 on top of my previous four, I'm still okay. Huh. C'est facile. When you attacked them, you 
used lethal force, correct? Yeah, that was in a time for holding back. As the camera pans down on the ground, we see this tendril of black leaking up over the armor, crawling in through the leather, reaching in to the mouth, into the eyes, into the nose. And these soldiers who are dead breathe in. And when they open their eyes, they are black voids as all of them stand up again. Oh boy, Jesus. The tendrils are coming from the water specifically. Oh yeah, you literally watched them slither out. Gross. Astra, what the fuck was that? Astra, what the fuck was that? Astra, what's going on? Mallory, I don't know. You're a knowledge, Davi. I don't know what's going on. I've never seen Lathy do this before. You're useless. Amboise, you've got raises left. Yeah, I do. What do you got? <laughs> so this is the fun part. I don't know how things work or what to do in this situation because, oh boy. If you need time, we can transition over to Mallory, Angelica, and Dalla. Yes. Okay. The ATC also see this happen. Zoe. Yes. Could I use my not oft activated advantage leadership in this case? Could you remind me what that does? Spend one hero point to inspire one group to action. They will do what you command as long as it is reasonable. Hmm. You do have a bunch of extra people around. And your crew is up on the ridge. And my wife is there with full agency and technically the ability to get her own raises. I was about to say that the ATC were going to be a complication because they still didn't know that the Newmans were against them. But... If you want to go ahead and shout an order, Angelica, then they will be on your side. Angelica sits up, still a little frazzled from all the stress she's been under, and she calls to the crew of the Thorn who are gathered at the opening of this cavern. Casadores, there is no storm to cover this attack against the ATC, so you must become one. Give them no quarter. Matalos a todos. Saya, the Iglesias brothers, Gabriella, Wesley, Oliver... Everybody thunders into the fray. And as they pass the camera, we transition to stay with Angelica, Dalla, and Mallory. Angelica tries to get up, stumbles, reaches a hand out to anyone nearby to give her some support. Dalla's got her. She looked to Dalla. Miss Branson, where is Tiamat? She's standing at the edge of the hole that they've dug beneath the tree. What are we supposed to do? How do we finish this? You jump. And then Tia jumps down. We hobble over with Angelica and all of us just peek in. What's in the hole? There's water down there. Is Tia's form in the water? Oh yeah, you can see her. How far down? Ten feet. This is different from the hole they're digging with the sarcophagus, right? Those are two separate holes. Nope, it's the same hole. Oh, sh- so where's the sarcophagus? So the sarcophagus is back down in there, below the surface of the water. It's not buoyant. You don't know how deep the water is, but it's definitely deep enough to swim. Well, before we go anywhere near that water, Angelica cuts a button or something off her coat, and she throws it in the water to see if it fucking evaporates. Yeah, good call. It splashes and doesn't sizzle or dissolve or anything. The water's actually so fucking clear that you can distinctly make out the details of the button as it just sinks. Okay. 
Yeah, because I was going to say Tia jumping in the water and being fine is not enough of an indicator for us that it's safe. I understand. I get it. Cool. Yeah, as long as we clarify, we check to make sure it's safe before getting in. You're correct. It is safe. Mallory's not going to jump. They're going to take one of the remaining strands of a rope from the pulley and go down that way. Yeah, I guess we'll climb our way down. We're sailors. We climb ropes all the time. That's true. It's that cool cutscene of like you guys rappelling down and then we get the panoramic view of this cool ass fucking cave. You've got the shaft, which is just big enough for the sarcophagus to fit in. And then once you pass a certain point, it opens up. There's water down at the bottom and like a little tiny island. As you're climbing down, you can see the roots of the tree making its way burrowed deep into the earth. And there's this area where the sarcophagus was obviously not there because it had been displaced and Tia is swimming to that area and she gets out. The roots at one point had like covered the sarcophagus, but they have since been torn apart and ripped and shredded. So there's just this area, this space where the sarcophagus used to be. And she looks at all three of you and says, we're here back in bed again. We can't rest properly. The bed isn't where it's supposed to be. Mallory looks at Dala and Anjog's like, We should put that back in its proper place. Let that be the end of it. Alright. What do you all do? I think Angelica stays with Tia. If Angelica's offering to stay, Dala's very happy with that. And is like, okay, I will go help with the heavy lifting you stay here. <laughs> yeah, Mallory can't really lift it. Even in the water, it's still very heavy, but they've got, like, you know, their net that they carry with them, and they're going to swim down and sort of, yeah, wrap the net around and start hauling it back up. Dala will follow Mallory's lead. She's there to help. And as Dala and Mallory walk into the water, their tattoos activating to allow them to breathe, the camera rises up through the shaft to witness Amboise. We're back to you. What have you got? would very much like to stab one of them, just to get an understanding of what are we dealing with here? Do they have gorgettes? I would say no. These guys don't have gorgettes. Cool. We're going right through the neck. Okay. We see the rapier go right in, come out the other side. The thing walks forward, seemingly unperturbed that it has been stabbed in the neck. Okay, Diego, this might be a problem. Can you get us out of here? <laughs> no. Laughs in Porte. <laughs>, laughs in zero hero points. One of the groups is at five as well. And I'm actually just going to combine both of them and say they're at eight. As you stab one in the neck, another one comes to the side. Another one comes to the side. Another one steps above. Another one. And you are surrounded with moments. Amboise, the way how they're moving looks familiar. <laughs> I'm going to spend three raises and I'm going to deal six wounds to Diego. And Boaz, if you want to prevent some of this, you can by just spending a single raise. That's fine. You can let that happen. That'll be 10 total wounds. All right. So you're at your second dramatic by now. Correct. Diego, three of them in a triangle formation stand up on the top of this dugout trench that you're in. And they angle their spears at an impossible angle if they were living and stab. Where do they get you? Because this is the second dramatic wound. This is the one that hurts. 
Ooh. Then it's going to be in the arms, because he is using his arms a lot today. Mm. Yeah, one on each arm. It's rough. He drops himself a little bit lower so that the shields are up higher, but yeah, his shoulders aren't lifting up as high as they were. Hey, Zoe. Hey, a day. Question about Porte stuff. Answer about Porte stuff. You need hero points to bring people with you for when you're traveling. Do you need hero points to knock people into the ways? No. Cool. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Read over carefully what it takes to open a way. Is it a hero point and a raise? During an action sequence, it costs a single raise in addition to a dramatic wound. Okay. If you want to, you don't have to take the dramatic wound. It just means you open a bless year instead. Bold of you to assume he would do such a thing. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out there. How many raises do you want it to cost and how many dramatic wounds? One dramatic wound to open the way and one each to get them inside. Well, I only have five, so one to open... We can get four of them in. All right. Am I going to regret this? Probably. Take the camera for a bit a day. So, seeing that Diego is invisible pain, Amboise is going to jump off his shoulders, slide down the shields, and bounce off to get behind the various Newman soldiers. While he's moving through the air, he will do a cut in his arm, and in a less than surgical precision way, due to the panic of the situation, he will slash down as hard as he can right behind one of them from head height down to the ground so that Diego can then push forward with the shields to push some amount of them in. If you want to give him those raises to do that, then you would push four of them in. Absolutely. Diego's tired. He has to drop one of the shields, but he uses both arms to help reinforce the singular remaining one. Throws more of his shoulder behind it. Four of them go into the ways. Now the funny thing about that, everybody, is I'm spending four danger points. As they pass the threshold of the way, that black tendril that invaded their bodies leaves and kind of hangs there in the air. And then they coalesce together and start to form a little tiny black hole. That doesn't seem very funny. It's hilarious. This is fine. Now, to be clear, when the tendrils leave the bodies, the bodies do die again, right? Oh yeah, they're dead. Okay, cool. Four corpses in the way, that's fine. This is fine. The rest of the Numenari soldiers drop what they're doing and walk into the way. And when they do, they drop dead, and that black hole gets bigger and bigger. And as it does, Amboise... It is sucking in everything around it. This seems like even more of a problem. Starts off with like little weird flecks of embers that are kind of bleeding off the edge of the way. And then it starts to get bigger and bigger and it starts to lift one of the bodies and then another one. It is gaining mass rapidly. Well, it looks like we're going into the portal and closing it because... Oh boy. And you step forward to go into the ways, it closes on you. And I don't mean like a nice little zipper effect. You get a blood splatter all up your body. The way is shut. 
Zutalor. <laughs> <laughs> and as the screaming of the world seems to die off suddenly, we follow the echo of that scream back down into the grave. Tia looks over at you, Angelica. Before we go, we have to tell you something. What do you need to tell me? Look for the seeds. Mother says they've been taken and planted. Does she look like she's getting sleepier? Definitely. She's kind of leaned back a little bit. It looks a little bit more relaxed. Her eyes are, are half-lidded. As Tia's nodding off, Angelica just kneels. Gets close enough for a soft, quiet conversation with her. You and her. And she points at Dala and Mallory pulling the sarcophagus out of the water. I've already taken so much from me. But I still brought you home. And now you want me to do something else for you? Not for us. Our time is done. Then who? <sighs> Fate will show you if you're willing to see. And they bring the sarcophagus up. As the camera kind of looks inside to see what's there, there's greenery in all different seasons growing all over this person. Their hair, which is long and luxurious and filling the whole coffin, is full of leaves, flowers, branches, berries, twigs, all sorts of flora. There's also not skin, but bark, as though a tree. Tia stands up and lazily crawls into it. And when she does, she turns into the primordial water and fills the coffin. And Tia, she's back in bed. I guess we did it. I... I, I suppose we did. <laughs> Good riddance. Angelica stands up and starts to climb out of this hole. Mallory watches Angelica go up and then looks back down at the figure in the coffin. Dala stays for another moment if Mallory does. Both of them just, Dala doesn't say anything, but just gives it another second of staring at it. And then she'll go follow Angelica. Kind of pat Mallory on the shoulder before she turns. Mallory doesn't leave immediately. I think they take a bit of paper from their pocket and they fold it into a little origami flower, which they then tuck into Tara's hands. It's just this small offering made from the trees that she created, then ground into paper by humans, and then folded again by human hands into this little flower, and finally returned back, transformed, to the original maker. Oh, come on, Estra, what do I say? I suppose whatever you want to say to her. Is there anything you want me to tell her? <laughs> she visits me from time to time. She knows. Tara, I cannot lie to you. I do have one of your apples, and I don't intend on returning it. But, um... But I think that's okay. Lathy didn't seem to care that I had it. And truly, at this point, Lathy's the only thing that could keep me from it. But I apologize for all the trouble. Sleep well, Maid Eternal. Dream deep. <laughs> 
and they turn and leave. And as you climb out of there, Mallory, the earth itself seems to fold back in, and roots grow and cover where they had dug out, sealing that off forever. And Esteban's crew is there. They come up to you, Namboise. All right. Uh, Senor, I think we got... Oh, you... <clears throat> is that all yours? Gesturing to the blood that has just kind of, like, drenched you. Mm-hmm. Are you all right? All right is not... Uh... And his eyes look haunted. All right, well, why don't we sit down and kind of figure out what's happening here? Take a seat before you pass out. Is there anybody? Medic? Diego, Estevan comes over to you. Uh, He's still got a shovel in his hand. Senor, thank you for protecting us. Of course. Anything against the ATC. And anyone who would spoil this beautiful nature. I saw your moves. Good job. And uh, Diego will pull off his gauntleted hand and, you know, go to shake. Esteban looks down at the hand, is a little uncomfortable, only because he doesn't know how hard to grip your hand, and kind of lightly holds it at first, but once you kind of grip back, he's like, oh, okay, so it doesn't hurt you. Yeah. So he grips back, and oh my god, you you also need to sit down. Is there a doctor? Tala raises her hand. <laughs> She's walking over. Angelica, as you climb out of the hole, you notice that Saya is just finishing up tying up all of the ATC soldiers that they have captured. How many of them are there? Honestly, no more than a handful. Most of the ATC soldiers were on the ships, to be completely honest. (laughs) Saya eventually comes over to you. (sighs) That should take care of them. I'm sorry, Angelica, I know you told me to stay behind. She just melts into her wife's arms. it's, It's all right, I'm here now. It's okay. Are you alright? Thank you for coming. Of course. He's done. Oh, okay. We're finally free of her. Good. I want to get out of here as soon as possible. Yeah, let's go. And we need to check the safe in our quarters. Check the safe? Why? What's wrong? (sighs) Mallory had the apple. There is a physical shift as Saya straightens, as if a bar of steel has just been shoved down her spine. What? Saya, it's fine. And Mallory, you're taking up the back end of this group. Whispering to Coco, like, it's really done, isn't it? It's, we're good, we're safe, we're all set. No, it'll never be done. Coco. And you look, and you see Saya has turned her head Almost too far. The color of her eyes are gone. They are just these glowing white areas. Even though you're so far behind the pack, you watch her open her mouth. You hear her speak, but it's not Saya's voice. Divine! Saya, don't. We can work this out. You have to stay in control. Don't give in to her. There is a flash of white light. And Saya is gone. Ah! Mallory, bite the apple! Bite it now! One hand goes to the apple, the other grabs Astra, and they bite. Very quickly, I'm gonna mark off my fifth point in wits. Yes, you're very smart now. I'm a smart cookie. Mallory, 
time stops. When you bit the apple, you were looking at it. And when you look up, you see Saya directly in front of you, inches away, wings outstretched, an arrowhead in her hand, pointed directly at the blue stone. What the fuck? Your voice echoes. Can Mallory move? Yes. And I expected a lot of things, but I didn't think this was one of them. Coco, are you there? You can't hear Coco's voice. You realize that in one hand, you have the apple, and in the other hand, you should have Astra's stone. It's not there. Oh, shit. In front of Saya is a manifested form of Astra, and he does not have star smoke coming out of his eyes. He is not incorporeal. We see for the first time on camera this lad, and he is standing in a position of protecting. He's pushing something behind him, which, as we can imagine, would have been Mallory at the time. Oh. And his face is visible. He's got a nice square jaw. He's clean shaven. He does have that strained lavender color skin with those frozen blueberry lips. His nose is a little sharp, and his eyes are that golden blue galaxy color. And there's one set, there's another set, there's another set beneath, and there's that center eye in the middle. And all of them have that same color radiating from them. And his hair, which is kind of cropped short, shaved on the sides with a swoop in the back, is leaking kind of that stardust off the swoops there. And on his back, are a gigantic pair of wings, black as night, but they have that iridescent galaxy quality to them. And he has opened them to protect Mallory. Oh my god, you're an idiot. After being taken aback for a moment by seeing Astra fully formed, they're gonna like reach up their hands on his shoulders and try to like shake him out of it. Like, all right, come on, let's move you out of the way. Can you hear me? Astra, I'm here. You don't hear Astra, but you do hear a voice. Not in your head, but all around you. He cannot hear you, dearling. Mallory turns around, or looks around. Mallory, as you lift your eyes, we are going to be from your point of view. As you behold a human form, not unlike your own, but vastly different all the same. The skin of their feet is hardened, but not with multiple layers of epidermis, with earth and clay. A deep brown, nearly black loam sprouts various tiny seedlings that accelerate their growth into creeping ivy along the ankles. The camera pans up a pair of long legs with powerful calf muscles and thighs as thick as small tree trunks, the ivy weaving in a circle around the knees and to the outside of the thighs, the many leaves meeting in between to cover what the Vatacine would call indecent. The ivy branches in a pair up from the hips and becomes more woody, the earth and bark blending together, making the form less human and more natural. There is a plate of bark with swirling patterns covering the chest, giving the illusion of powerful muscles over the pectorals and abdomen, but when viewed at a different angle, the patterns in the bark trick the eye, making the chest enlarge 
and the waist thin into a more feminine silhouette. We lift higher, and the woody tree splits into two at the collarbone. From here, small buds of flowers are blossoming. A trail of them flow down the arms, adorning the tip of the shoulders with larger ones that are in full, glorious bloom. The cascading flora traces the outside of the arms, which are neither thick nor slim, not strong nor weak, but long, only slightly more so than Theus's version. They come down to hands with seven digits instead of the normal five, two thumbs and two middle fingers, both the same length and width as his partner. And they too are elongated and coated in that same loam that covers the feet. Flowers closer to the hands grow into small berries of shifting colors. And as your eyes travel to Terra's face, we see the full glory of creation. A slender neck with thin branches along either side. The vascular cambium curls at the edges of the jaws, temples, and crest of the forehead, resembling curls of brown hair. The eyes are that of a creature, perhaps an eagle or a feline, something definitely predatory, but only barely recognizable as such. The brows are composed of woven strands of twigs, curved sharply at the ends, and the nose, while still centered in the face, is anything but human. It's that of an animal, a bear to be exact, but is shaped in such a way that it does not protrude or detract. The edges of it are smoothed out into the cheeks, the bridge flattens slightly, and only the tip of the nose is blackened, not unlike that of the fawns depicted in Avalonian fairy tales. And at one angle, the cheekbones are sharp, the jaw defined. And viewed from another, the cheeks are rounded, the chin more subtle. And when Terra smiles at us, a double set of large canines flash from beneath her woody lips. And they are not pearly, perfectly white. They are discolored, like that of old bones under the shade, making them appear as though flecked with gold and amber. The vines and leaves and flowers finally accumulate and condense at the back of her head, flowing down her back and trailing the ground by about a foot with wildflowers, deciduous leaves, and pointed ivy. Terra, the first mother, stands before you in all of her splendor, elegantly wild, beautifully feral, and gorgeously primal. Hello, dear one. Well, it's, um, it's a pleasure. Um, what exactly is going on? You have eaten that which has unripened law. And it stops time? For a moment, yes. Well, how long of a moment? I need to get him out of here. <laughs> Be still, dear one. You are in no danger here. Not until you ask your question. What? I'm sorry, I don't follow. The apple does not grant infinite knowledge, dear one. But it does give you the opportunity to ask of the world any question you wish. I fear I've already asked you three. <laughs> Those don't count, silly child. Any question? That wasn't the question, if that's clear. That was not the question. She laughs, and it is like the world is laughing. 
It is in the wind. It is in the water. It is in the life all around her. Just this joyous sound of nature reveling. Simply name us before you ask, dearling. Oh, oh all right. Um, when I do, though, time's going to start up again, isn't it? Yes. And, I mean, I'm not exactly in an ideal situation for scholarly pursuits. As we can imagine. And she looks at the conflict that's about to happen. And for the first time, you see a, a little, like, quirk of the eyebrow and a little smirk at the edge of her lip. And we watch as her hands lift up and she grabs in the air as if, like, holding something. There's a white light that surrounds Saya, and then she's over there now, in the same position she was in, but she's about to stab a tree. She's about to stab the tree. So she's way the fuck over there now. Is that better? A little bit, I suppose. I mean, thank you. Thank you, Tara. Our pleasure, dear one. All right, um, I know we're not technically in a hurry, but Tara, all the knowledge in the world won't change the fact that she's going to keep hunting us forever. I know enough about the Eternal War to understand that much. As long as I'm bonded to him, as long as I carry him with me, I, I mean, we're always going to be in danger. Yohora do take after his wrath. <sighs> it's just so frustrating. What is, dearling? When Eve bit the apple, made a pact with the first Davi, the two of them, they freed humanity and doomed it in the same breath. Yes, unfortunately so. I... I don't know what question she asked, but I know she wanted more from the world, as I do. And I know that whatever Eden Thaeus created for the first of us, there was no room in it for a human in love with a demon. This is also true. Now we're right back where we started. The truth is, having that lab and answering to no one on that ship well, almost no one, and getting to follow my flights of inspiration whenever I'd like. The truth is, the thorn was my Eden. And now, once again... They look down at the apple, then over at Saya. <sighs> Fuck. You know, I, I never wanted Eve to define me. So I won't. I won't let her. This time will be different. They look at Terra, their hands falling to their side. So no, I... I don't think I need to know any more about the world. I know everything. And most importantly for us, I know there is room for Astra and I in this world, in your world. I just need to know how we fit. Terra, my question to you is this. How do I make Astra human? Terra walks up to you, Mallory, and kneels down. And when she does, roots encompass her legs, and she becomes as though a tree. She reaches out and cups her hands on your cheeks gently, and gives you a soft kiss on your forehead, and looks you in the eyes. And when you do, you can see all the wondrous, terrifying beauty of life in them. My sweet winter child, he already is. What? Mallory, you blink, and time begins again. And Terra is gone. Terra? Mallory? 
Astra, I'm here. We, we have to go. We have to go. He, like, looks behind him where you were supposed to be, but now you're in front of him. What happened? I did what you told me to do, and... Astra... Astra, are you human? Mallory! You know better! No, no, shut up! Don't... Don't play games with me, Astra. We don't have a lot of time. Are you human? Of course not! Tara said you were. I bit the apple, and... And they said you were human. What did they mean by that? I wasn't given a ch- He stops. And fear... Real, true, honest fear crosses all seven of his eyes. Why did you ask Terra if I was human? I didn't ask her if you were human. I asked her to make you human. Why do you want to make me human? Because, because I won't hunt you if you're human. Because we can put an end to this so we can- Stop lying and just say it's because you want to be rid of me. What? I wouldn't fault you for casting me out of your mind caused so many problems for you. He looks back real quick at Saya, who is very confused and doesn't understand what's happening. And, and what I know is dangerous to you. I understand. If it is your will, I will leave. No, Astra, for something claiming to be a knowledge, Davi, you are, you are a fool. What? No, I want to make you human because I want to have a normal fucking life together. Because I want to talk to you without looking insane. Because I want to actually kiss you without worrying you're going to crumble into dust at any moment. Because, Astra Kokoretsia, I love you. The stone in his chest beats. He stumbles back from the impact. <sighs> Mallory, I, I didn't know. He is reaching out to you. Until Saya comes screaming from the back no! of the cave. No! No, fuck! Mallory, look out! He pushes you out of the way, and Saya crashes in. And they ascend into the air like two hawks going at each other. Fuck! She catches up to them, panting, out of breath, because again, she's still a little out of it, and just puts her hand on their shoulders. What did you do? Captain, you need to stop her. She's like looking at the bit apple in your hand, like... Come the fuck on, my guy. Like, <laughs> oh no. Come on. <laughs> this has to be your fault, right? <laughs> well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> but she was attacking regardless. So what 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 do we do? So we <laughs> help. Listen, your story steps deemed this so. So guess what? It's going to be an action sequence, but a really short one. Emery's controlling Astra, Natalie's controlling Saya. And both y'all have as many raises as it takes to escalate the situation. Saya has light and electric-themed powers while the Ahura is piloting her. And she has a final ability that you can't use right now called Banish. Astra has, in the reverse, darkness and star power. Star power, you say? Oh, come on. Yes, star power. His weapons look like... Black outlines negated with stars in the middle. I gotcha, I gotcha. And his final ability is called Empty Them. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, I don't think we'll be doing that one. That sounds a little, that sounds a little <laughs> fucked up, not gonna lie. That one's been on cooldown for a couple eons. Sure, sure. Now, the only difference is that while you two are technically fighting each other, you have individual goals. And I'm going to message you privately what those are. And later on, for our listeners, you'll find them in the Discord in Behind the Desk. Cool, 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 okay. And we are going to go raise for raise 
starting with Saya. So Saya has the arrow and it starts to lose its corporeal shape. It becomes this crackling shard of pure light. As soon as the two of them fly upwards and begin spiraling towards the cavern ceiling, Time to erase a cosmic mistake. She jams it into Astra's shoulder and it just spreads cracks through that part of his body, which glow with light like it's burning him from within. He's going to go back into smoke for a minute and Astra is going to turn off the lights. The only mistake was not getting rid of you immediately. The smoke disintegrates. It flies to every torch and lighting in the room. It knocks out the little windows drilled into the ceiling. Just a big blue-black blanket. That's the problem with light like yours. It creates too many shadows. And suddenly, like, little sparks and dots appear in different places, and you're not sure if they're just little tricks of the light, if they're stars, or if they're actually Astra. He is now very difficult to find. You did the Night Fury thing! I was born to the darkness, (laughs) molded by it. I love it. An eruption of light fills the cavern. Not if we burn bright enough to eliminate the It becomes so bright in here that the dark smoke is illuminated in the way, like when your headlights hit fog. Mm -hmm. We see some of those motes of starlight get pierced by what look like more of these arrow shards of light, which at this point, Sai isn't firing from her bow. It's just the Ahura's wings flapping and they fly out like feathers being shook free. As, like, these shards of light shoot off in all different directions, indiscriminately, might I say, you see, like, as the darkness is, like, back from the ruins of this city, one shadow remains, and it's one that swoops around to block the light from Mallory and the rest of the crew. Keep that light focused on me. Leave them out of this. The cosmic smoke is going to raise up in three different pillars around Saya up from the ground billowing up into the sky, and they look, I imagine, like the pillars of creation. Before she has a moment to decide which one is going to be, like, the attacking pillar, the one behind her is going to coalesce together to form this cold blue star blade that whips out behind him and comes down, crashing on her head like an executioner's axe. As it comes down, the wings catch but that dark smoke fuses into the wings a little bit in a reverse of what her first attack did. There's a shower of sparks that rain down on all of you, and the camera falls with them to focus again on the group. Saya, you have to stop! Don't let her do this! Dahl is shielding as many people as she can with her body, particularly Amboise and Diego, since they're, like, the most injured right now. Gotta protect the weakness. Not to be alarmist, but Dala, what is going on? Maybe Angelica should explain. Oh, you bastard. (laughs) (laughs) It's not her. She's got this being within her. They've been bonded for a long time. It's been a part of her since I've known her. She said it once helped her get revenge, but I've never seen it take over like this. Get revenge? That is a loaded gun. That is a powder keg that you've brought aboard this ship. Really, Mallory? You're one to talk. Enough arguing. How do we stop this? 
We have to stop them from fighting. Can we stop them fighting? I will repeat again. What the ever-loving fuck is going on? Oh. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm dead. <laughs> it's the eternal conflict. Are you seriously asking me to explain that to you right now? You are my master sorcier. I hired you to be the expert on these matters. He is literally staring her in the eyes with a look of not disbelief in the fact of the question being asked, but more of a, do you really think I give a fuck? Mr. Pendragon, I'm sorry there isn't time to fully fill you in, but right now my wife is fighting a devi. If you can't figure out the rest from context, ask Mallory, since they know fucking everything. He's going to look towards Mallory. Talk. Mallory's going to pull their hair back. It's a war, Amboise. It's a war older than any of the nations of Thea. It's a war as old as the world itself. <sighs> this is why I try not to get involved in any of the fucking legends we hear about at sea. Because it attracts this. It's like a magnet for their bickering. I don't care about their fucking war. I just care about her. Can I ask a slightly dumb question? I'll give you a slightly dumb answer. What are Esteban and the ATC doing right now? Oh my god, good question. (laughs) They are trying very hard to just band together in this cataclysmic fucking moment of like, do you want to get out alive? Yeah, I do. Okay, truce, let's go. (laughs) Okay. They're just out. They're just leaving. Can't you do your thread pull thing? Yes, I could. It's like a kite. Angelica gives you a look. I need you to take ear pointers. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's funny as fuck. <laughs> she turns from you, Diego. She's fully got her back to you now. Zoe? <coughs> yes, yes, Natalie? I'm gonna spend one of the Ohura's raises. Show me. We see Angelica reach forward, her magic starting to make the threads visible as her fingers brush against it, about to grasp down. The Ahura teleports to a different spot, and one of the light arrows flies out and hits Angelica in the hand. (gasps) She will take a dramatic wound from that. And she is pinned to the ground, and the Ahura takes their other wing and rakes it into Astra's back. Oh my god. And they say as they have him now clutched in the long light shards of the wing. The witch won't save you today. Ooh. Ooh. Fuck. So Angelica is just left half crucified on the ground, clutching her hand as the light shard slowly fades and breaks apart. And she's able to pull herself free. Oh my god. Dollar runs over. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna (laughs) try and help. So Angelica tried, but it doesn't look like that's going to work any better on Saya and the Ahura than it did against the Fury. Yeah. Mallory is going to rally everyone up. We need to get out of here. Now. (sighs) You just want to leave them. Angelica, if you stay here, you're going to get killed by your own damn wife. If we leave, she could kill your friend. This is too much for Diego. These are two big, powerful forces fighting over a big sea of swallowing. There was a black hole. We are not equipped for this. He is going to grab Captain in one arm, and we're leaving. 
This is Come on, Diego, not stop it! Safe. Diego, I have to stay. And do what exactly? I don't know. But Saya always seems to be able to control it better around me. Now let me go! Diego grabs her wrist. <gasps> what was that you said? <sighs> she controls it around you? Diego, I have to get to her! Diego lunges into action behind her, bringing his arms around hers in a full Nelson to lock up her hands and get them out of the way. We Diego, you take your hands off me this second! Are Diego! Leaving! Miss Bronson! Arrest this man! Diego freezes. His stern, confident expression as he wrestled Angelica is gone. His eyes are wide open and he's staring at Tala, pleading for help. Tala looks to her captain and looks to Diego. And she reaches over and grabs Angelica's legs and picks her up. Oh, oh fuck. My. You're done. We're leaving. Let's go, Diego. She can't fight back. She's got nothing in front. Diego and the crew will carry Angelica back to the ship. And it is nighttime outside, by the way. Diego, please. I swore I would help you get your family back. You can't ask me to leave her, please. None of my scars are from Liliana. <gasps> there it is. Ooh. Zoe, I'm spending two hero points, but I want them right back for activating both my backgrounds, Pirate and Strega. Okay. For a moment, Angelica goes still and silent. Then you'll get some from me. There is a flick of her hand as she seizes Diego's thread, so he freezes up. She draws a knife and slashes at his good hand so he cannot restrain her again. Then, in the same motion, she makes a slash at Dala and grabs her thread, too. I'm sorry. And Angelica takes off down the beach. You don't have to apologize. I was going to drop you the second you grab Diego, <laughs> let you faceplant into the sand. So, like, it's okay you stabbed me. I can take it. I mean, Mallory's going to go chasing after her. Angelica, she'll never stop. It's an Ahura. It's designed to kill Davi. I won't accept it. She's done it before. I will not accept it. Mallory, you've seen Angelica in manic states, sailing within the storms we use to attack ATC ships, but those were nothing compared to the desperate, feral look you see on her face right now. I'll tear that damn thing straight out of her. I'll rip the whole weave and have to do it. Mallory's going to unloop the net from their waist and try to trip up Angelica. Check up net! Oh, shit! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Face plant into the fucking sand. You get her. Good. Angelica and Mallory throws themselves on top of Angelica and, like, hands <gasps> on her shoulders. What are you doing? We need a better plan than you breaking everything. She just starts hacking at the net. Astra's protecting us. If we run, so can he. Do you love him or not? At that moment, two black bars come across the top and the bottom of the screen, signaling a cutscene. Fifteen feet away from where Angelica and Mallory are struggling, the sand erupts as something impacts on the beach. When it settles, you see Saya standing over Astra, a shard of pure light impaling him in his shoulder. He is bleeding from several hundred cuts all over his body. Flight bones, the color of the stone in his chest, are protruding from several places. His feathers are molting in globs of silver and stardust. 
Those wings are utterly broken, and the sand beneath him is rapidly turning silver. Despite these fatal injuries, he is struggling to stand up, his hands wrapped about the light to remove it. Saya's eyes suddenly flare white-hot. She opens her mouth, and the Ahura speaks. Nehla! Astro rise in terrible pain, the word impaling him deeper than the shard of light ever could. A shackle illuminates around his wrists and then solidifies. The prisms making up the Ahura's wings shatter and reform into links of chain, clamping around the shackles. They suddenly pull taunt, yanking his grip free, and stretch his arms out to his sides. The shard that pins him dims and vanishes with a flick of her wrist, and Astra is lifted into the air. She rotates her wrist, and he hangs upside down, crucified in front of her. At the second utterance, spiderwebs of light crackle across his skin, splintering his form as though he were a mirror, her word the hammer. Astra is screaming, but the noise is nothing a human can make. It is something primordial and ancient. It is the sound a star makes as it falls from its place in the sky. Saya lifts her hand and touches the heartstone embedded in his chest, opening her mouth a third and final time. The light across his skin suddenly brightens to white, then blue, then diminishes to nothing. The chains release him and he collapses in a heap at her feet. Where his body has been cut, his skin is beginning to disintegrate. His form is crumbling like ash into the air. No, no, not like this. Despite his rapidly unstable body, he lifts himself and stumbles to stand. As he does, his wings are blown away by a soft sea breeze into astral dust. He tries to take a step and falls to a knee. I have to hold them. Mallory, the eyes beneath yours are gone as he takes them back the plumes of smoke ceasing enough for him to lock eyes with you. He reaches his hand out, fingertips flecking off into the wind. They have to know. Mallory McCoy, I love... As the black bars recede, all that is left of the Devi is the silver blood on the beach and the crescent scars beneath Mallory's eyes where his used to be. Astra. The hands that were holding Angelica's shoulders turned to ice. Astra, are you there? And in utter horror, they reach up, numbly pressing their fingers against little crescent divots where his eyes used to be. Astra Kokoretsi, I command you speak to me. There is no response. Please, darling, please. The shards of light behind Saya disintegrate into embers and eventually die out like firefly lights. She falls to her knees and collapses to the sand. Saya is helpless. Why would you try to stop me? Why didn't you let me try? You just see Mallory slump on the ground next to Angelica. 
and the wind blows by to reveal them just watching the place where Astra once was. I... I'm sorry, Mallory. And then, at a, at a glacial pace, they reach over and grip one of Angelica's fallen knives. Now, Captain. I'm sorry. What? The doctor rises to their feet, and they begin walking towards Saya. Mallory? Angelica sees the knife. No, 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 no. Stop! It wasn't her! Mallory's still walking. Mallory, don't do this! They're still walking. Please, it's not her fault! I don't care. I, I don't care. I told you this would happen. I fucking told you so. I can't let her- Saya would never deliberately do anything to hurt you! Whatever foothold the Ahura still has on this place, I can't let it stay. Please, Mallory, you are the only one on this crew who understands what this is like! Oh, shut up. Don't go pretending that you and I are the same. You are a part of our family! Don't try to convince me that you give a shit about all of us now! Mallory, just stop! Just wait, and I promise I will figure something out! Like you always do. You always have a backup plan, don't you? A deal with the Devil Jonah? Those letters of Mark in your safe? Face it, Angelica, you've only ever been protecting yourself! The letters? That's not what that's for! You shouldn't have been snooping in the first place! She's just frantically trying to cut herself free from the net. But I know you now, Angelica. Nothing will ever matter more to you than getting back at the ATC. Angelica stops pleading. I am the fucking captain! You gave your word that you would follow me! Or was it just another one of your lies? Ooh. Mallory keeps walking. Angelica finally gets herself out of the net, and she draws her last knife from her coat, dashing after you. I don't have to explain myself to you, you miserable, ungrateful bilge rat! I pulled you off that fucking rock! You would be wasting away there if it weren't for me! If I was still on that island, I would still have him! And they rush Saya, attempting to drive the knife into her heart. Angelica reaches out towards Mallory's thread, so she can cut it. Angelica, you touch Mallory's thread, but before you cut it, in this moment of faded time where everything has stopped, Mallory's thread resonates with something different, and you see something new. You see a small object buried deep in Mallory's heart. A seed. Emery, this is a seed of corruption. I want to know the emotion that makes this seed grow. The seed in Mallory's heart is the thing that they have, up until this point, tackled with grace and delight all throughout their life. It's the fear of the unknown. It's always been a source of spontaneity and nervous wonder for them, but now, now it's twisted overcome with a paralysis. For the past couple years in which Mallory has been bonded to Coco, they were privileged with bearing witness to miracles through his eyes. They remember how the world looked before, through their regular human gaze, how small and flat everything was. And now they feel that, crashing back down around them. It's not just a fear of the unknown, but a terror at not knowing the world without him in it. Angelica... 
you feel that fear as if you've lost Saya, you've lost Kieran, you've lost your brothers, you've lost Liliana, you've lost Coraline, you've lost everyone you ever cared about. And now you live in a world without them. <sighs> what is this? As you ask that, and as you continue to stare, you start to see gossamer threads, thin and wispy, everywhere. So much so that it fills your vision. Mm. The weave. You see the weave. And more importantly, you see the weaver. Angelica, you see a hand, an elegant one, flawless, with seven fingers, an extra digit in the middle, and an extra thumb. And the nails on this hand are hooked, but not sharp. And you watch as one of them gingerly hooks underneath Mallory's fate thread. And when it does, you get a glimpse of Mallory's future. If that seed is left to germinate, it will corrupt Mallory to the core. All of the things that you made them build for you would be child's play compared to what they would create in the absence of love. Show me the other path. The finger twitches and catches a thread that is so closely aligned with the thread it's currently holding, you could not see it before. And when it does, you feel relief, the likes of which you have never felt before, as though you have been underwater for centuries and are just now breaking the surface. And when you come up for air, you can see the lighthouse. And more importantly, you see the light that's waiting for you at the end of the world. I'm sorry, Mallory. I'm sorry for what's happened to Astra. But her fingers still slowly closing around Mallory's thread to grip it tightly. She made a deal out of love just like you. Angelica regards that little seed of fear she sees in Mallory. Maybe it's time for me to make a choice like that. That little seed rushes down Mallory's thread, and she feels it hit her and get embedded amongst the thorns of her own thread. There's almost a sense of relief when it does. It feels like a thorn being torn out. When you take the seed... That second thread that fate had grabbed is now the only thread for Mallory. But it's not the only one around them. Fate's fingers are nimble and quick. Seven other threads are grabbed, and they are wrapped around you, Angelica. 
and they begin to pull tight, like wire on cheese. She staggers forward, and we see blood dripping from her coat into the sand as the threads are opening wounds that just got patched up and making new ones. The hand begins to pull those threads, and instead of them pulling on you, you see where they are coming from. You look around to see the rest of your crew looking on in horror at what is about to happen. I know she didn't bite an apple, but in this moment of frozen time for Angelica, she looks back and we see her other fingers are hooked around Diego's and Boaz's and Dalla's threads too. She's been holding them in place to keep them from trying to stop her, but her grip is slipping as blood coats her fingers. You will never take from me again. Do you hear me? Natalie, just to clarify, who is Angelica speaking to right now? She's speaking to Terra. And to Tiamat. And fate. There's no voice that speaks to you. There's no indication that there will ever be one. And when you look back at Mallory... It's like looking in a mirror at yourself. You see in Mallory the hatred that you have in your own heart. She's not a monster. I'll be the monster. You can all hate me. The hand hangs in midair. And though you hear nothing, you get a feeling that it's waiting for you to make your decision. Whatever the cost, I'll bear it. She takes six lashes. Shit! One for Mallory, Diego, Dalla, Amboise, the Ahura, and Saya. And when you take those lashes, those threads let go. Time continues again. She lets the dagger fly to hit Mallory in the leg and drop them. Ah! And as soon as that dagger leaves your fingers, all we can see is your silhouette against a red background as your lashes are taken. Ah! Angelica! Ah! It's alright, I've got you. Please forgive me. And with one final flare of light, she and Angelica are gone. Are you okay, Mallory? Where, where did she go? Is she back on the ship? Only one way to find out. I didn't mean... I... I don't know what came over me. I didn't mean to... I know exactly what came over you. It's okay. I think Mallory just bursts into tears. Mallory, you feel yourself get lifted out of the sand and held. And at first you think it's Dala, until Estevan speaks in your ear. It's alright, Mal, I got you. 
make sure Dala and the others are okay. Don't you worry. Just relax. Dala stays where she is for a long time and then gets up and is like the last one to head back towards the ship. And eventually, you all head back to the ship. Kieran runs up to all of you. What's going on? Hermano. Diego goes in like for a hug and he whispers in Kieran's ear for a bit. And the camera doesn't hear what's said. But as you see Kieran's face dropping, Diego takes the captain's hat from him and puts it on his own head. You see a hand of his rest on the railing and the other one pats the front of your chest. You'll do us proud. I'll, uh, I'll be in our room. Uh, my room. Cazadores, all hands to stations. We are going home. Alejandro comes up to you. To Aragosta, Romano. To Castile. The camera is going to do one final pan with each of you. And I want you to tell me the last thing that we see. Diego is sitting on the rail. And it's the same railing that he and the brothers were sitting at to look at Angelica fighting Mateo on his boat. And he doesn't say, Captain disembarking he says captains disembarking and for a moment he takes off the hat and places it over his heart for a bit the camera pans down the hall towards Dalla's room and Dalla's sitting at her desk she's rifled through all of her books and she's got Mallory's books open and Angelica and Saya she's frantically looking at all of them and looking like she wants to write in them and like add to them but eventually just like swipes them all off of the table and takes out a blank piece of paper and then stares at it for a really long time and just like head down on the table it can't can't write anything there's nothing to say she's devastated and then just breaks down sobbing We pan down and pass into the captain's quarters, where we just see Kieran sitting at a table, looking at the maps Angelica had laid out, his finger anxiously tapping, tapping, tapping. And he upends the table. He grabs a bottle of ink and throws it against the wall. He takes books and candles off shelves and hurls them. He just starts tearing everything apart. And eventually he tries to lift something that's bolted down like Angelica's desk and he stumbles back and falls into the bed. And we see a top-down view from above him as it looks at first like he's starting to laugh and then it breaks into sobs. There's a knock at the door. Mallory's in the doorway and their face is all blotchy and tear-streaked. They're clutching the adorned coconut shell in their arms, but as they walk in and see the mess that Kieran's made, it falls from their hands and joins everything else on the ground. 
hitting the floor with just this hollow, empty clatter, indicative of the fact that there's nothing left in it. They tentatively walk over and sit down on the edge of the bed next to him. Kieran, can I? I'm sorry, I'm just, um, I'm not really good at falling asleep alone. (sighs) Shut up, Mallory. And they embrace you. They hug him back. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, And they don't stop apologizing until long after the camera pans up and away from them. We see it open up into the lower decks of the ship. We see Amboise standing in front of his red door with his hand on it. All we can really make out in the darkness are his eyes glowing slightly. We see him close his eyes for a moment, and in pure darkness, we see a series of pulsing red lights with the beat of something close to 100 beats per minute, some of them 60 beats per minute. We see one speeding off somewhere, far, far away. He lets out a breath, and the pulsing of that one stops. And his hand, which was flat on the door, kind of starts to crinkle up a little bit, and we see him slam it against it. everybody I said oh that's oh. me hi hi everybody <laughs> oh, oh hello <laughs> <laughs> oh they're all traumatized <laughs> is everybody okay we have hot drinks and pillows and and squishies everybody come on in everybody's okay and we all love each other very much yes we do yes we do friends I'm sorry, not sorry, everybody. Oh, we're only like a tiny bit sorry. We're not sorry. You know what you signed up for. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sorry at all. I'm with the day. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be honest. This ending was premeditated in like every sense of the day. <laughs> okay, true. This is not a crime of passion. Well, it was no, also no, a No, no, this was not passion. specifically to hurt any of you. It's just to hurt us. This is a targeted <laughs> strike. Against <laughs> ourselves. We could go to jail 30 to life, you know? We hit the button on the missiles, and then they were aimed directly at us. Guys, I've committed mass murder. I'm going away forever. These are war cries you've committed. (laughs) These are war cries. (laughs) Zoe violated the Geneva Conventions. Again! Again! (sighs) Friends, that was a lot. Gang? What do we think about that finale, huh? I say we take it one more time. From the top. <laughs> Try it again. Let's do it all again. <laughs> Once more, with feeling. Maybe it will turn out this time on the road to hell on the river. <laughs> nice. It's a sad song. Oh, it's a sad, sad song. It's a sad song, but we tell it anyway. <laughs> to quote Clint Eastwood, Why? You want to waste everyone's time? <laughs> <laughs> 
Y'all, this has been a ride. When I got in the vehicle, I was informed that there was going to be brakes, but once we started to actually roll along and uh, get to a point where uh, I needed the brakes, there were none. So congratulations on fooling me for that. Yeah, Natalie did remove the brakes. Ah, unfortunately. I see. I see. Not I see. a single brake in this vehicle. I jump started the vehicle, <laughs> took out the brakes. The camera like, in that like s- is slowly zooming into Natalie as I'm explaining this, and she is putting away the the clippers that she used to uh, <laughs> <laughs> snip the, the brake lines. face of innocence. I am in full like mechanics overalls with like grease all over my face. Grease all over you. Who <laughs> <laughs> her? She's never done anything wrong in her life. Little red bandana, just whistling. <laughs> I've never been near a car, Mister. <laughs> Cars? What are those? We only have ships around here. I'm gay. I can't drive. <laughs> I can't drive. Move. I'm gay. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <clears throat> oh boy. Well, we have all gathered here together because all of you, lovely friends, and we love you. We love you so much, guys. If you're polyamorous, we love you. Come be in the thruple, the, the quintuple, the pentuple, whatever the fuck you want to call it, because we love you. They're accepting invitations? Oh my god. There's room in the passion pit. There's always, <laughs> There's always room, room in the, in the passion, passion pit! <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, my poor neighbors. They haven't heard me yelling in a long time. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> They're probably like, oh no, it's Thursday. <laughs> Oh, oh no, God. It's Not this again. <laughs> Not again. We thought we were free <laughs> of this. Again. It's been a while. Uh, <laughs> oh, the I'm neighbor so sorry. just like gets up, walks over to the stereo system, turns it to 11, goes and <laughs> turns sits their back AC down, on, pours their wine bottle into their wine glass. <laughs> Must be Thursday again. Ah, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we're here because these lovely friends of ours have some questions for y'all specifically as you all know i do a segment called notes with the narrator where we talk about mechanics talk about questions talk about stories and stuff like that and so that's what we're gonna do here right now live for your listening pleasure although it's not live you're listening to it recorded but it's live right now as of recording any hoozles so let's just dive right into this shall we i've got 10 questions burning in the minds of these wonderful people and we're gonna start with number one what was the character creation process like and did you have any characters that didn't make the cut no i had one idea i had no <laughs> backups i did not make any extra characters unless you count my partners and half of the crew NPCs. i was about to say you had three characters <laughs> but i had one idea i told zoe the idea we were high off Froyo, and here we are having brought you this special series about the thorn. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, sans Froyo. Ah, oh, man. <laughs> Mine was fairly simple. When we first decided to do this, I feel like I was kind of the, the last person jumping on the pirate ship. I was a little nervous about it when everyone was really excited, and so I didn't really have any strong ideas for a character. And then we all sat down together to kind of brainstorm who our characters were going to be. And I showed up with 
one single idea and it was just a character that's the carpenter and the doctor. And then Zoe gave me a list of questions to ask about her and we slowly filled it out together (laughs) through collaboration and friendship. That little questionnaire helped so much. Highly recommend something similar. 20 questions. Yeah. Yeah. It really, really helps fill out a character's like backstory and kind of figuring out her personality along the way, which most of her, I guess, like personality and traits came from episode one, but a lot of her backstory was all kind of figuring it out as we went through that 20 questions. So super, super helpful. On the character creation process itself, I um, I much prefer it to D&D because I'm bad with numbers, but this had like, you know, arcana and uh, very few big numbers with a lot of points, just pretty simple stuff. I like the character creation process for 7C a lot. Also, I didn't have any other ideas. I wanted to be a goblin with explosives, and then we just tacked some sorcery onto it. <laughs> and a whole romantic fact. subplot. Yeah. I'll, we'll, we'll talk more on that later. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. The, ca- the creation process was like a uh, mad genius first. That was pretty much all I had going in, and that mostly survived. When I read about the great nation of Castile, I knew I had to make a character from there. And so Diego was born. And because he was from Castile, he had to be a very passionate lover and fighter. So that is how I had created him. To be the best of both. Y'all can't see it right now. Durs has dressed up for this occasion. Full gauntlet and all. (laughs) He's a method actor. Oh, yeah. 100%. Love that about him. (laughs) What do you mean acting? (laughs) (laughs) This is just actual Diego Alfonso Morales Iglesias. Who, you know, acts as Durs sometimes. Durs is just my face (laughs) character to get through society. (laughs) Fair enough. A day. You're the only one who hasn't answered. Because just like with this, I owe you a thorough apology. Oh, Because you had to pull so many teeth to get me to actually generate anything. (laughs) You see, I'm not good at making characters for stories. I'm good at making builds for things, sure. But actual storytelling? Not my strong suit. So, there weren't many character ideas floating in my head to begin with. That's a bold claim for a member of the Storyteller Squad to make. (laughs) Every squad needs to have a weak link somewhere. No. Boo. Maybe you start off not having a character for story, but then you always end up having a character with an amazing story. Right? Mm -hmm. They just happen to you and it works and you do a fantastic job with it. And like, don't forget, this is like an actual play podcast. Having a good build is still a very valuable member of a game because it's a game, you know? Like, having a strong mechanic sense is just as good as a story sense, and I think sometimes because we are so roleplay focused, you know, you forget about that. But mechanics, good. Don't count that against yourself. We need someone who's good at the actual game. <laughs> so we can all frolic around and tell stories. That's what we got Durs for, though. That's the power of the Diego. It has best of both worlds. <laughs> it's the power of Diego. <laughs> Love it. I guess to seriously answer that question, just very briefly, I'm friends with Evan, and uh, at some point he was like, you should meet the 
person who runs my podcast. And I said, I would love that. And so Zoe and I got Froyo and talked about Seventh Sea. And within, what, two hours, I was looking at a book going, what if we did this? And mostly, I had come up with the idea for the crew. Not who they were, but just like their whole deal. And then I came up with Angelica as like the captain of that crew and where she fit in the world. It's all thanks to Adam Conover's The G Word, which is a series on Netflix where he goes and like talks about the government with people. And at one point he flew into a hurricane with some division of the Air Force or Weather Service. And I was like, pirates that sail into a hurricane in order to disguise their hunting of other ships is the most metal thing I've ever heard. And so that's how the thorn was born. I did not realize that's where the idea came from. That's very cool. Thanks, Adam Conover. Maybe you don't ruin everything. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck with the writer's strike. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to uh, question two. What was an improvised character trait that you loved about your character during the campaign? Everything is food if you're not a coward. (laughs) Incredible. The delivery of that line a day. Was that fully improvised on the spot? Yep. Nice. I love that. That is one of my favorite moments with Amboise. I think I've acknowledged this in the actual episodes, but a lot of Dala's personality was fully improvised. I really didn't know who she was until we started playing. And from episode one, her like dry sense of humor and kind of like calmness in really crazy situations was fully improvised. And I just ran with it and I liked it a lot. And it kind of just became this defining, like that's that's who she is. That's her whole personality. And it was fully on the spot in the first episode, just me panicking <laughs> and be like, oh no, she'd be chill about this. Yeah. I've decided right now. (laughs) Brittany is panicking. Dala, cool as a cucumber. She's great. (laughs) She's like 100% bedside manner. I love that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Angelica's hatred for mythology. Didn't know that (laughs) in the the hand (laughs) when I came up with her. But that became like such a huge part of her character and a fun like thematic like arc for her. So yeah, I love that a lot. And it was really just me sort of playing off of Oliver and being like, what? No, this is stupid. Anything you like, I clearly hate. So, (laughs) and because Oliver was all about pirate, you know, legends and things, I was like, well, she has to not enjoy this or, or think it frivolous because she's a real pirate. And why would real pirates think that legends about them are worth anyone's time? (laughs) She's a brass tax girl. Mm -hmm. It's all down to brass tacks. And I love that that ended up being core, not only to her character, but also to the final conflict. Mm. Right? Yeah, it just became more and more ironic as we were faced with more and more myths and fables. (laughs) Yep. Like, oh, come on. Yeah. As the the narrator, I'm like, huh, uh, Natalie's character does not like all of this legend stuff. Let's add more legend stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Zoe said, bet. Literally the fate witch just like resisting fate the entire way through. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. I was like, huh, well, uh, that's cool and all, but like the name of the show is Fate of the Thorns. So, I mean, I gotta maybe throw a little bit We didn't bit agonize over that. It's for tragedy. Yeah. No, yeah. the irony was not lost on me. And I, and I leaned into it even harder every time something crazy was happening. Like the fact that at the end, 
you know, her wife, the angel, and Coco are fighting in the sky above, and she's still being like, this is why I don't like legends, is like the funniest sort of <laughs> meta humor to me, getting to play that. <laughs> See? Yeah. Points, gestures at everything around her. See how terrible this is? You don't want this. <laughs> this, this is how you get cosmic ants. <laughs> uh, so I'll go next because mine also involves the finale. Because a lot of Diego is easy enough for me to come up with. And it's pretty straightforward of, okay, just, you know, big poppy energy. But at the finale... It was sort of teased, and I did know there was going to be some amount of civil war happening with the crew, but I had no idea how it was going to play out, or more importantly, how I was going to get Diego to fit into it in any way. So, one, the moment to just have Diego look around and say, this is too much for me, and, you know... You can't fly her like a kite, so we've got to get you out of here. Uh, and then it was the line, none of my scars are from Liliana. Mm -hmm. Fuck, dude. Mm -hmm. That fucking line drop, dude. Ugh. Blew us away. Insane. So good. I mean, everybody was on fire in the finale. Oh, my God. Literally, I had to call <laughs> the fire department, guys. <laughs> uh, my favorite improvised bit is not about Mallory, because I don't improvise shit about Mallory. <laughs> I know everything about Mallory. <laughs> but, like, tangentially related to Mallory, um, I really liked how we came up with... I forget who exactly came up with this. Um, but the idea that people don't question the talking to Coco thing because Dala yes! prescribed that to the crew. Yes! Which I really like because by extension that means Dala was the first person to ever treat Coco like a fully-fledged crew member, like a fully-fledged mm -hmm. person, before oh. she even knew why she was doing that. Uh, which makes it just even more juicy that she's like the first person to talk to Coco who's not Mallory. Yes! Yeah, that's great. It's so good. <laughs> we love Big Lady. After making your characters, this is question three, of course, did they change or morph in a way from their original concept that surprised you? I thought Diego was going to be a much bigger rage, angry at the ATC man for a lot longer. And the Liliana drop just happened way, way sooner than I was anticipating. Whoopsie. <laughs> so he just became, you know, uh, much more, you know, daddy energy throughout, which was fine. It's been so much fun. And that ended up working really well in contrast to Angelica, too. So that was, I'm also glad that happened. Yeah, but Angelica, too, was uh, way gentler than I first imagined her. And, like, we saw more of that side of her a lot more often than I ever expected to. I originally envisioned her as this, like, hard-ass captain, you know, tough as nails, and she'd bump up against her crew and just give them orders and be super short with them all the time. But that's a fun character in a movie where everyone is just an actor and then you do the scene and you're done. But, like, we're still playing a game, and so that kind of character was just, like, clearly not going to be fun because as, like, quote, the captain character, if I have to tell everyone what they're doing, it, like, takes 
agency away from the rest of you and that i was like this is not gonna work like she needs people to disagree with her she needs to like have moments where she's not being so you know uh up in everyone's face about like do what i say so yeah that that changed pretty quickly i think also yelling at your friends isn't fun even if we all yeah. know it's a character it's still just like mm-hmm. eh. now you're missing out Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I prefer to make my friends cry instead. It's different. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, uh, is it though? As one who has suffered, I mean, not <clears throat> suffered. Suffered's a harsh word. As one who has experienced it, yes, it is much different. <laughs> Coco and Mallory, I'm going to say it right. I'm going to shock you all. Oh, boy. Coco and Mallory were not initially in love. Wait, really? So... What had happened was we were like, we were coming up with stuff and then a few weeks, maybe two weeks before our first first session, I sent Zoe a picture of Mallory and Astra dancing. That's the Lion Decker one. And uh, we like played around with the idea that they fall in love over the course of the story. Uh, but then we developed that backstory too much. So by the time episode two or three came around, they were in fact already in love. And um, Zoe ended up re-recording a little bit of Astra's dialogue in Article 1 and added a lot more pet names to (laughs) the original dialogue, so it stayed consistent. Uh, Yes, because Astra was a sassy little jerk. (laughs) Yeah! Well, yeah, because we were were, um, initially thinking it was more of that, like, kind of traditional Cinderace sorcery dynamic of, like, you two are constantly in tension, because... You want power from the Devi, and the Devi wants to use you to escape, so it's this constant power struggle. And then we just kind of like, like, nah, they, nah. What if, and, and bear with me here, what if we just like reverse that dynamic entirely? What if they were just roommates? What if they were just, <laughs> and oh my god, they were roommates? <laughs> and I think for, uh, Mallory specifically, Mallory's character sort of evolves from being like, scientist first to uh like monster fucker first but with science for flavor (laughs) nice i do remember when we first learned about coco in like a just an offline kind of group talking about our characters thing you guys were going back and forth in character as mallory and coco and it was very like funny and entertaining but very like contentious they were very mean to each other and very sassy and it was fun but I really like the, like, two characters who are madly in love with each other and, like, bicker a little bit for fun. But can't be together. Yeah, and also, like, the tortured <laughs> souls thing. Oh, so good. <laughs> it's just a very, yeah, very angsty, edgy. <laughs> it really evolved. You took it from, like, you know, wizard's apprentice with his teacher stuck in a book to, like, Howl's Castle in, you know, a matter of... <laughs> days of brainstorming (laughs) i'll be completely honest definitely did a lot of research watching howl's moving castle and reading that book which by the way if you haven't read the book but only seen studio ghibli i highly recommend it it's uh, a much different dynamic (laughs) (laughs) and i like how when we start off we don't know much about amboise and by the end we know that he's definitely very nice to everyone and kind so it's been good seeing that over the the course of the adventure just 
constantly going out of his way to help others. I thought for a moment that you were going to say, I love that at the beginning of everything, we don't know anything about Amboise, and then at the end of everything, we still don't know anything about Amboise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like how Amboise becomes a completely normal human being by the end of the show. He's just a guy. Totally normal, no surprises. He's just a guy. He's just an innocent man. <laughs> just a perfectly predictable human man. <laughs> In my defense, the plan can't change if I don't have a plan to begin with. It's very true. <laughs> we know a little bit more. There's a little bit more no, there. There's more, there's more questions. There's no answers, just more questions. And we love him for it. No, no, all the answers are there. Every single answer is there. Uh, a day, don't do this to me. <laughs> a day, people already re-listen to this show. You're gonna have people stuck in like a, a, a the number twenty three loop on it, like trying to figure out what is. Maybe going if on. I listen for a seventeenth time, I'll figure out the Amboise puzzle. No, no, I think that works for Amboise. That does work, though. Guys, every time I say "don't sleep on what Amboise says," I fucking mean it. <laughs> Question number four. Was it intentional that all the crew have personalized neck tattoos? Are their tattoos kind of like their charter binding? Do the crew of the Thorn have a capital C charter? So the tattoos are part of my original idea, like I mentioned about that group that used storms as their cover, um, because it was a magical failsafe for if anyone ever fell overboard, that they wouldn't drown in the storm. And I never really thought about like, oh, but you're in the middle of the ocean. Like you might still lose them at sea. And then they would like, what, dehydrate or become a pickle? I don't know. But the point is they would probably just hang out with Ruby under the waves where it's less choppy and then get like ferried back to the ship after the different attacks on the uh, ATC were over. And then, yeah, we personalized them all because Emery is an incredible illustrator. And I mean, how can you not take advantage of that? And then they sort of became this thing of like symbolizing a very iconic thing about a character too. So there's that. And I just like the idea of the tattoos on the neck and the ribcage flaring out into gills whenever you hit water. Oh, and we don't have a charter because Angelica hates magic. <laughs> she thinks it's silly to like hold that over your crew as like a threat of like, hey, if you ever mess up, you're cursed. Fuck you. Like, She's not about that. She she very much picks her crew and wants them to be loyal to her because they're loyal to her and not because there's this, like, binding thing that will ruin your soul if you step out of line. Angelica wouldn't be caught dead casting that whole charter, like, group spell thing. <laughs> there's no way Absolutely not. She would agree to something like that. Because doesn't it, it ties you to, like, all the other, quote, legendary pirates and, like, everything they're doing. So they, like, have tabs on you and stuff. Like, that's absolutely not her bag. She doesn't want to be famous. That's the whole thing. She's running a black ops team on the ocean. She doesn't want to be known about. That's the whole cover with the monster hunting ship and why there's a, you know, a sea dragon tacked to the front of our bow. Like, it's all there to prop up the illusion that, like, oh, yeah, ship lost in a storm. Gosh, that's unfortunate. We were lucky to make it out. You know, and just keep up that that facade. I've heard there's sea monsters in the area. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all part of the ruse. One could also say that if you need a charter to keep you in line with what you're trying to do, 
then you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> this is why you're the Sorcerer Supreme. <laughs> Does the Thorn have like a, a lowercase c charter though, where it's just basic, you know, ship rules, everyone respect each other, you agree to work hard, blah, 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 everyone signs in regular ink. Here's the basic thing. Sign on. This is your wages. This is your responsibilities, etc. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have a letter of mark. We do have a letter of mark. <laughs> Somewhere Evan is... <laughs> he just sat up straight in his chair. <laughs> pointing at the screen. Screaming the word punk ass. <laughs> All right. Question five. This is for Emery. Uh, we kind of already answered this a bit. How many at the table knew what Coco actually was before the game, or was it something that played out over time? Yeah, people knew that I was doing Sandera's sorcery from the start. I think the actual secretive bits was, like, the fact that they were in love, or um, Mallory's eyes specifically were a reveal. I remember showing off that art when that reveal actually happened. Yeah, we got the reveal just like the fans got the reveal. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. really cool. Thank you. I definitely didn't look up how Sandaris worked. I, I like fully was like, oh, you're doing that magic? Cool. I'm not going to yeah. figure out what it is because I wanted to have that experience of like, that's how Porte happens. That's what the, the stuff that Dala does is like the eye reveal was finally like, whoa, that's what happens when you're make the make the deal with one of them. Oh, my gosh. But even then, it's like not really an answer. It's just like. This is what was under the bangs, and then... Yeah, and admittedly, we did not end up doing Sandera's sorcery much at all. It was more just, like, a character based off of Sandera's sorcery because of the whole, like, he's done the seventh deal already, so their whole situation is just not really orthodox for uh, Sandera's Loshias and all of the homebrew stuff that Dave I are fallen stars. That was a cool reveal. Yeah, that was so cool. Mm-hmm. I feel like because of all the homebrew stuff and kind of parting from the, like, by the books sorcery, it really kept it a surprise for the viewers, especially once we're, like, really deep in the 7C knowledge, trying to guess what it was instead of it just being, like, textbook, oh, it's this kind of magic. It was like, wait, what is Coco? Yeah. And I liked that there were people who knew, like, from the beginning or had guessed from the beginning. Oh, that's gotta be a Devi, right? Oh my god, yeah. I was like, yes, cool. Now get ready for more. Yes, and also. (laughs) Yes, and. I see you've also read the rule book. Are you prepared for them to be in love? (laughs) (laughs) Are you prepared for me to throw the rule book out the window? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I see that you also enjoy weird kind of magic. What do you like about space? Ah, all right. The next question is for a day specifically. Sorry, not sorry. Hmm. As the resident sorcier supreme on the ship, what are Amboise's thoughts on Sorte, the fate witch magic? It's weird. So for him, he doesn't quite understand it. I would say that he believes it only as far as it's a natural thing and people are just looking in on things. Much in the same way that opening doors is a perfectly natural thing to do. Looking at threads of fate and everything, perfectly natural thing to do. Sure, like, sort of like a a different area of study, basically. Yeah. It's all connected. I'm probably going to regret that answer for sure, yeah. It's on record now. (laughs) I'm holding you to it. (laughs) Amboise is smart enough to not just be like, my kind of magic is totally valid and normal, but your kind of magic is terrible and wrong. 
He's way smarter than that. Of course he knows that, like, oh, it's just a different kind of magic. All right. Oh, he doesn't consider it magic. Ooh, interesting. Ooh. He doesn't consider any of it magic. Nice. Even what he does? Even what he does. Oh, okay. What does he consider magic? What does he consider it? If not magic. What what is his view of it if it's not sorcery? It's nature. It's perfectly natural. Oh, interesting. The same way like bats can echolocate without us understanding exactly how that works. Some people can tie up some threads and see some threads. The same way that we're all technically a little bit bioluminescent. Elaborate on that. No, I don't think I will. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Day. (laughs) Knowing what little I do know about Amboise, I totally understand his perspective for his own magic. And I can also say that you, specifically, Emery, know more than most other people on the group. Sure, sure. All right, all right, all right. Secrets, secrets. Moving on, we've got question number seven. What did y'all think slash feel about your characters and their development throughout the story? I feel all the emotions, mostly good ones. (laughs) I feel like that actually does dovetail pretty significantly with how did your characters change throughout the story? So there might be some overlap there in terms of just the wording. I already answered this. <laughs> I'm not answering it again. <laughs> I mean, I like that everyone had an arc. You still want to know what these characters are going to do next, clearly. Even though we all started somewhere and it's somewhere different and had like a complete characterization for everyone. But there's still stories to tell about them and more room for them to grow. And I think that's the hallmark of like a good character. That even after a fully realized and thematic adventure that you then say what's the next adventure how are they going to change in that one we told this story and yeah i am really proud and happy with how diego came out i think that being able to have all the interactions with the various members of the crew uh, really helped i don't know show how supportive he was and all the interactions that uh, Zoe would put in with, you know, the the chalkboards or the characters in his backstory. Other brothers just, uh, just really warms warms the heart, and that's really what I wanted with him was to just be a really, you know, heartwarming, you know, cozy character. Uh, so it's just really happy with how I was able to keep that up. What about you, Zoe? You had characters, and they changed. Yeah, yeah. Well. Oh boy, um, <laughs> I was not expecting to answer questions tonight, Natalie. <laughs> you played with us. You were there. Yeah, I know. I was there. I know. I know. I do have one. If you're struggling to think of something that I can kind of toss to you, yeah, yeah, toss it over to me. Because I think we've talked about this offline, but it'd be fun to talk about it here. The kind of the evolution of the Iglesias brothers. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, because initially the role available on the crew was the captain of the Marines. So I was like, oh, yeah, I can I can make a fighter character. I can be a duelist. That'll be perfect. And like, oh, you need some Marines. I'm like, ah, I'm not four different characters. Ah, I don't. And I was like, oh, fine. They'll, they'll be brothers and they'll be fine. And then I had the idea that, oh, they're not 
actually brothers and he's not originally an Iglesias. It's Liliana Iglesias. He married her, took her name, and that adopts him into the Iglesias family. So when that came out, I was like, oh, okay, they're, they, they might be a little bit uh, impactful later on because they had absolutely been like, oh, I guess I have to find some names and someone to, you know, pick up crates and stab people. Yeah. The Iglesias brothers in the very beginning were, uh, quote unquote, like uh, nameless Wilhelm NPCs that um, weren't really going to have too much of, a, of an impact. Um, at least that's the, the vibe that Durs gave me. And I said, hold my mead. <laughs> because there was no fucking way that, that we were going to have uh, these four brothers from his marriage to Liliana uh, be nameless and, and background. Every single episode, I would add little things from them. So, like, at one point, uh, we were talking about food. Like, the, the Iglesias brothers were, were making dinner. And so it was like, okay, cool. Well, Paco really likes beans. And I think, like, Alejandro was the one who wanted, like, guacamole and everything. And, and so we had this document. We had this, this one singular little document, which at first it had their names and the instruments that they play. But that document grew over the course of the entire series to the point where if you wanted to play an Iglesias brother, I could just give you the character sheet because they are their own person. <laughs> That's so cool. That's amazing. <laughs> and then the the crux, the quintessential, the, the, the cream of the crop topping to all of this was in the very, very beginning while we were talking about it. I had the the sinister thought of, well, it would be a shame if anything happened to one of the brothers. <laughs> oh, no. Oof. No. What a thought. And so I continuously built moments where we could see the Iglesias brothers and their individuality and see how they impacted the rest of the crew and more importantly, Diego. So that when we got to the moment, because I knew we were going to get there, I just didn't know how. When we got to the moment where I spent a danger point and I looked at Durs and I said, which brother is it? The man practically collapsed standing <laughs> up. <laughs> because he had to choose one of the four beloved characters because his story step declared someone close to me gets hurt. That was probably the the most exponential growth from concept to end uh, was the idea that I've got throwaway marines and then it's like... I, I heart the Iglesias brothers is an acronym now in our community. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we gotta talk about wesley can we please talk about wesley <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh my goodness i need you all to know we always thought that the the thorn was going to have a small crew and that there would be a few named characters who were not pcs and who were maybe not officers but maybe they filled in the officers roles that like we didn't pick as a group and once everyone had chosen what they wanted i was like oh we don't really have anyone to like be in charge of taking care of the cannons or firing them. And like, we don't really have a, a, a person who would help Saya in the rigging. And we don't have anyone who would be sort of just like an all around helper on the crew. And so we got Gabriella Cade, Eris Slightly, and 
God, what is Wesley's first name? I don't even remember now. Wesley isn't his first name? Wesley's not his first name. No. I didn't know that. I thought Wesley was his first name. It's why I call him Mr. Wesley. His first name is Rory. That's right. Oh. I cannot fucking believe you. Yeah? Can you believe me? <laughs> oh my God. Man, I wish I knew that sooner. I would have loved to use it. Fuck. No way. <laughs> Everyone just calls him Wesley. So two people have gotten it so far. Uh-huh. So the other thing is that Zoe changed who that character was the instant she started voicing them because I know you're all going to hate me for this. When I originally came up with who these characters were, I had like basic descriptions of them. And for Wesley, it was Irish, the brawny paper towel man. <laughs> <laughs> That is not the direction I imagined. <laughs> not at all. He was just a strapping, tan, you know, guy with orange hair and big sideburns who was going to, like, help Dala lift heavy things and, like, be a carpenter. And then Zoe came up with, oh, hi, I'm Wesley. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I guess he's a twink. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I've always pictured him as a twink. There was no way that he was the brawny paper towel man. That's because you never saw the notes and you only heard Zoe's voice. <laughs> oh, my sweet boy, Wesley. So as I'm sitting there and realizing that I have to voice all of these NPCs, uh, not only did we get Gabriella, which, by the way, the first time I voiced her was literally goodnight, fuckers, which then set the tone for the rest of her character Incredible. arc. Incredible. So good. <laughs> what a line to start <laughs> on. But uh, also, the first time we had Eris Slightly on here, I was like, ah, fuck. I gotta voice another character. What the shit? You know what? Eris only says the word I. That's it. It's different inflections of the word I, because I don't want to do this right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Coco, right? Of course there's Coco, where <laughs> I have to be completely honest, and uh, this is the only time you're ever going to hear the original OG Coco voice, so um, bear with me. Uh, because it's... <laughs> this was gonna be Coco's original voice. <laughs> what? Oh my god. I had forgotten about that. And so he was gonna be the sassy sidekick to Mallory this whole time. That has Roger Rabbit vibes, and I'm not certain about it. <laughs> yes. Wow. Oh, God. <laughs> it's just Edwin. <laughs> I would pay money to hear this entire series redone. <laughs> Everything else is the same except for Coco's voice. All the same lines. It's just redubbed. I need <laughs> All the dialogue's oh the same. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, nothing changed. Just the voice. Paul redoes the vocals. No! <laughs> no! Oh, no! Paul, how's your Edwin? <laughs> we got a new project for you. <laughs> that Stardance image uh, changed the entire game for me regarding Coco because he was just a coconut. He was just a voice in a coconut. That was it. Technically, he was a voice in a coconut, but he was also... Um the smog smoke demon from Fern Gully, you sent me that image and said, 
this is also Coco. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. Hexus uh, from Fern Gully, the smoke aspect of it was what I was really clinging to. All Devi manifest in odd abstract forms. And so being a Devi of knowledge, I was like, huh, wouldn't it be fun if when he manifested, it was in like this kind of brain fog, kind of like starry, smoky kind of aspect. Like that's all you see is just smoke that takes different form. Emery went with that and said, bet, say less. <laughs> Emery gave us a Tumblr sexy man out of a coconut. Uh, yes, yes, yes. We love a, we love a Tumblr <sighs> sexy man regardless. It's what the story needed. Okay, he was only wearing that outfit because the guy in the line decker illustration was wearing it. You you didn't need to take that one, but but it's it's cute. Honestly, being a line decker copy, the the jawline was a choice, Emery. It's <laughs> that fucking jaw. <laughs> Sorry, it's not it. the suit, baby. Let me tell you. <laughs> it's that jawline that could kill someone. Mm -hmm. It's that jaw and that smile, baby. Ugh. Oh my god. Woof. So, moving on, uh, back to back to everything else. Uh, question eight. Do you have a personal favorite episode of this miniseries? Three. Three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Elaborate. Oh, sorry. Tango del Fuego. I mean, is. You know, Diego and Liliana and the captain saying, we're going to the ship immediately. And Diego saying, we do not have time. Ah, ah. <laughs> and the dancing. Oh, that scene was incredible. I also put down Tango Del Fuego. That episode changed the show. Mm -hmm. We were not the same cast after that episode. No, and it's all because of your, I'm pointing at you, Natalie, your raise drop. You're like, wait a minute, this is a dramatic sequence? We could spend raises not on ourselves and, and establish facts? Well, fucking... <laughs> Say less! And then I went up to you, I was like, oh, bet, cool, Liliana's here? <laughs> Guess whose arm she's on! Zoe and I had a GM fight, and it didn't end well for anyone. <laughs> Except it did end well for all of us. <laughs> Some of us a bit more than others. <laughs> I will say my favorite episode is episode one because it's the one that convinced me that like this game was going to be really fun that I was actually really into it after being really like trepidatious for so long. So walking away from episode one being like, holy shit, I think we have something here. Like the ship that you guys have all been on for the last like six months, I'm finally on it now and I'm here and I'm ready to party. <laughs> oh, that means a lot. I, I, I did spend a lot of time setting up that first, like, all right, cool. We gotta, we, if we're gonna do it, we gotta do it in media res, and, and we gotta have a storm, and we gotta have a ship, and oh my god, yeah, mm -hmm. you like blew us away with the opening narration. It was so different from like how our episodes went, and we were so we went into it kind of thinking it would be similar to how we run our show, and we were just like, whoa, <laughs> this is not like anything we've ever done before. This is so cool. This isn't lo-fi, where are the lesbians? They're <laughs> in the rigging! <laughs> They're in the what rigging. are they doing up there? They know yeah, Shabari! It's so perfect. <laughs> different kind of show, different kind of show. <laughs> Don't go the same show. That's the X-rated show. That's the passion pitch. Cut. <laughs> 
Oh man, but yeah, it, it set the tone for all of us so well. Like, oh, it's this kind of show? All right, like, let's do this. Episode one was awesome. Episode three I liked a lot because it was it, it allowed for my best illustration in the Thorn album thus far. And then for a very similar reason, uh, episode 10, the Ways episode, was a favorite Oh, one. yeah. Um, partially because Zoe and Aday on their descriptions were very cool and evocative and surreal and that inspired my favorite illustration for the thorn album mm-hmm. i really liked episode nine selfishly i guess i mean <laughs> i get to fight my toxic ex my wife and we have the like cool scene between astra and mallory and i don't know th- there was something about you know having that cool sequence with my character and they're being asked like okay now sabotage her in this other scene with Emery. <laughs> and like, and Zoe hit me with, again with like, all right, open your GM brain. What do you got for us? And I was sitting there like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, and I say in the episode, I don't think I have any ideas. The answer is that was a lie. I had ideas, but I wasn't sure they'd be allowed. And then when you were like, no, tell us, tell us, tell us. All right. What if it's this and this? And everyone was just like, losing our <laughs> goddamn minds. That's the best idea you've ever had, Natalie. I was like, okay, bet you can play this kind of game now. <laughs> yeah, see, when you said I had no ideas, I knew you were full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you never have no ideas. Yeah. I, like, episode three was where I felt like I understood how 7C is supposed to be played. And episode nine was where I said, I know how this, like, series is going to go now. Yeah. Because after that, it was just, like, puzzle pieces in place of, like, well, then this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And hooray for story steps. We can make sure that all of these things now happen. And just, it was tipping a domino over. And that, to me, is, like, my favorite part of this type of improvised storytelling. Because, like, you might know where you're going, but the getting there is the fun part. And so like having that set up what I think is one of the best like arc finales I've ever been a part of in any campaign, like was, was so cool that it could be like done at the table and then played to its logical conclusion. I say it all the time. If you want to see it happen, make it a story step on the back half of that. uh, Was there a particular moment that made you laugh the hardest during the game? As we all know, uh, if you make me laugh, and if you make me have to stop to continue to laugh, I give you a hero point. That happened a lot. (laughs) To the point where I had to come up with, like, a new hero point mechanic, which I don't know if anybody knew that. I made it so that you could trade hero points for raises and vice versa. If you traded a hero point for raises, it was one hero point to two raises. If you did it the opposite it was two raises to one hero point because people were making me laugh so much that i kept just here you go hero points and also all y'all were really on point in gathering your damn hero points and using all your bullshit stuff (laughs) at one point i think uh a day had eight hero points banked (laughs) yeah but to be fair i needed those you did you You absolutely did. did Was it Emery or was it Durs who at one point had, I think, 18 raises? 
That was probably Durs. That sounds like a, a glory thing. Part of your arcana. That was Durs. Living the dream. Were they raises or were they wazes? <laughs> I think we also, like, we, we gave him a bunch of raises and hero points for that one, too. Because it was just a way to, no, like, no, have no. us all involved No, 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 Natalie, Natalie, don't let that slide. Don't, don't push what? that aside. A what? day, a day, <laughs> a day. Wazes? <laughs> <laughs> he said what and he said. you get a hero point. <laughs> all right, continue. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> so yeah, with that in mind, uh, what is a, what is a particular moment that made you laugh the hardest? All of the Mateo Tarani stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I can probably, if I remember well enough, think of individual things or lines that made me laugh. But like re-listening to the Mateo Tarani sequence, it was just beat after beat of like stupid quips and like the fucking whack flashback. <laughs> The whack meme, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like a, a sequence that in my head was just pure comedy start to finish. I can never like recall specific moments that made me laugh, but I mean, you've all heard me lose my shit and peek my mic throughout this series for 13 episodes at this point. Yeah. So like, it's those, it's those moments. I'm not shy about when something makes me laugh and I think it's really funny, so... I do remember being in tears over when we decided that Wesley was Twitter. And if I remember yes. correctly, there was another like 12 whole minutes of us going down a social media equivalent, like rabbit hole, talking about who on the crew was different social medias. And it all had to be cut because it was absolute off topic nonsense garbage. But it was really, really funny. <laughs> but I'm so glad that the like Wesley is Twitter bit got to stay in the final cut. <laughs> Yep, which made uh, uh, at episode ten the death of Twitter so fucking funny. Mm -hmm. We had to keep I'm it. I'm glad that joke was still relevant by yes. the time that <laughs> got posted. Yeah. It just keeps mm -hmm. being relevant. Oof. That joke's gonna age like fine wine. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh, like a dead mouse. <laughs> I don't know what I like expect. Mallory's cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I definitely laughed throughout the series, but one of the funny scenes that I really enjoyed was when Mallory and Diego are talking and they bring up uh, Alejandro's rapiers and that whole innuendo sequence just brings a smile oh to my, my heart. Oh my god, dude. Oh, we were all on mute, just in stitches. We could not handle it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that Every day, thank you. I did really like all the scenes in which Kieran would like pull the rug out from Angelica's like stern captain demeanor because it it happened constantly, <laughs> oh, yes. and it's such a good bit to have like her husband, this the sleepy, lazy artist, being like, "Darling, kiss me. I'm going to bed." She's like, "I'm about to dress down the entire crew. Could you please just leave?" <laughs> <laughs> so I love that that became like a dynamic between the two of them of him just being like don't be so serious let me kiss your pretty face and she's like get out of here <laughs> I'm trying to be serious captain right yeah. now get out <laughs> trying to be intimidating in front of my crew honey God. you're embarrassing me <laughs> yeah it made her like you know her, her harsh exterior secret softy vibe just like really really 
play and, and work and, and thrive. So thank you for that, Zoe. <laughs> You're welcome. You're absolutely welcome. The thing that uh, to this day I will never, ever forget, uh, I'll be on my deathbed and I'll be saying it as like my final words, are dads, wives, drive-ins, and dives. <laughs> <laughs> now, now the reason why that's so ridiculously funny um, is because uh, during game there is a special channel in the Discord where uh, the players get to talk amongst themselves uh, about what's going on. So it it prevents uh, a lot of like the game chatter that's happening um, and like the side tangents and th things like that. It all remains in this chat in which it's called. Um, uh, I do believe the original thing was F chat, but because we're pirates, it's R chat. Because <laughs> come on now. Um, and and afterwards, after the session, because I can't, I can't watch this while I'm running. I will get too distracted. So at the end of the session, I get the privilege and the blessing to go back and look at R chat. When Emery said dads, wives, drive-ins, and dives, a day. The GIF master <laughs> put a Guy Fieri GIF immediately after it was said. Almost as if it was like preemptive. <laughs> like a day had just known exactly what was happening. And every single time family was mentioned, uh, it was the Fast and Furious Vin Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Dad's wives driving. We have a lot of dives. reoccurring memes. It's, it's we have our own little set of memes. Uh, I know Shelbs is the master of memes in our community, but boy, a day, you you have the crown. <laughs> He's so quick on the draw. I have one skill. <laughs> one skill. One skill, and, and it's sending it the exact correct gif at the exact, exact right moment, moment mm -hmm. in F slash R chat. What do the boys call theirs? Because F chat started on the Storyteller Squad. We made our chat for this, and then don't the boys have their version of it now? Uh, the boys now have their version. We went an entire season without it because it's just the three of us. Now we have one, and it's called X marks the F. I love that. <laughs> oh, no. I love that. Whoopsie. It's really helpful for groups who are playing online. Yeah. It is really good. It is really good because, like, if you have a joke that you want to say or, or, like, some thought that's just like, oh, shit, what? Oh my God! What about this? Or like a theory or something? You guys can talk about it amongst yourselves, and it doesn't derail the entire conversation and like the actual story. And sometimes the the fruits of your labor of like, what about this fun theory? Ooh, this could be a thing. And then I go back later. I go back later and I look at that and I go, huh? That's way better than the idea I had. It's also good for real-time stuff, too. If you, like, know that you have a scene coming up and you're like, oh, shoot, I don't really know what I'm going to do with this, everyone else can be like, hey, what about this kind of thing? Or what if you play it like this? Guys, help! Yeah. And so instead of just, like, floundering when the spotlight's on you, you're like, all right, I've got some cool ideas. I've got something to work with without it, again, like, derailing the conversation mid-game. It's, it's happened kind of in the background while you're still paying attention to what's going on. And if you're a GM listening to this going like, oh, but I want people to be focusing on what I say, then you would be exactly like I was at the start of our series, uh, saying like, guys, can we not like be posting memes while we're playing? But it has evolved into this really useful tool that I now like see all these benefits to. And it's like, 
Yeah, you know what? You don't need everyone focused on every scene, especially if you have a big group of characters. And especially if you play really long sessions. Really long sessions if you're remote, so there's, like, no way to have those little quiet, you know, table talk moments at the table that you would be able to have if you were playing in person. It's become a thing that, like, I now do instinctively when playing, even if no one else at the table is doing it, because it helps me offshoot or, like, burn off that, like, joke energy if I'm, like, I want to make something funny here, but I know that it's not funny enough to, like, interrupt the scene. And so you can just get it out. You can laugh about it later, but it's not, like, interrupting or causing crosstalk on a recorded thing or, or whatever else. So give it a try. It's also super, like, a bonding moment to go through it afterwards. Because in the beginning of the Storyteller Squad, we didn't go back through it. And then Natalie was super left out of a lot of our table talk and, like, our jokes and stuff. And so that's when it turned into, hey, why don't we let Natalie read through it at the end? We'll go through it together. We'll re-experience all of our jokes and theories and table talk and go through it all. And it's a really great, like, decompressing time instead of just... Sometimes you just would, we'd end our session and be like, okay, good night, and then log off. And then you're just like, well, shit, I have so much energy now. So you get to like hang out with everyone for, you know, 20, 30 minutes and talk and joke and reminisce about the session you just played. You get to like instantly, yeah, relive all the best reactions and the best moments. And yeah, it's great. Absolutely. Yeah, you can decompress. And then, uh, you know, at some points, there were, I think there were two moments in which, um, I, as the narrator, watching all of your reactions uh, on camera, realized that something had gone down in our chat uh, to the point where it it knocked people out of their chairs. And I'm like, I cannot (laughs) wait to see what that was. (laughs) At one point, a day was like, why don't you know what? You know what? Go go look at it. Go look at it right now. Like, go do that. You deserve this. You deserve that right now as a treat. And you know what? It was the best goddamn treat I ever had. Holy shit! I was so glad to be a part of that moment. (laughs) It is a secret guilty pleasure of mine to send memes and jokes to the the table talk chat and then watch people's webcams to see when they read it and they giggle about it. (laughs) It it fills my soul with so much joy that I will never be able to stop doing it. There's an amount of satisfactual serotonin uh, in seeing all of the the memes and gifs, just making other people smile. And that With a really stupid meme you made in like three seconds yes. on Meme oh Maker. My God, mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> it, it's nice because any of like the urges that you have while you're you know watching a show or a movie or something, you'd be like, oh, I'm gonna pull out my phone or maybe read or watch something else on the side is sort of refocused by the F chat and the R chat and it's about the show. So you're, you know, it gives you that secondary thing to do, which is very, very helpful. It's still about the game. Yeah. But Brittany's right. It keeps you fully engaged while it being a secondary thing for your like nervous hands or your, you know, shifted focus to like latch to. Also, uh, the the fact that the other players are live reacting to what's going on with a scene uh, is also, like, you you guys know, all of you know by now. If you don't know by now, where have you been all this time? I, I live off of live reactions. I love it when I get a message at 4 a.m. the morning from, uh, from Officer Nightingale saying, what the actual fuck? (laughs) <laughs> Why did this happen? What have you done? <laughs> What's wrong with Coco? <laughs> I'm just like, oh, 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 I see. What episode are you on? Nine? 
<laughs> I'm so sorry. Go back to bed. Yeah, it helps preserve the live reacts that are sometimes lost in playing online, where if someone doesn't have their webcam on or they're like, for whatever reason, you're like not emoting to your webcam as much, but you're still in the chat like, oh my god, holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. This is crazy. And then you get to, it's memorialized. It's like all of a sudden my my ping will show up and it'll be like 250 plus <laughs> messages in the past five minutes. That's when you know it was a good that's session. That's like, oh shit, that's in all caps and I can't wait to read it. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. But yes, so um, on to question 10. Y'all are cosplayers and LARPers. Are we going to see a Thorn Crew group cosplay? I would love to. There's nothing official, but I think most of us are very much down to do it. If I can kind of speak for almost all of us. I can't afford that drip, though. Ooh. That drip is just too that good. I can't drip, afford it. Though. <laughs> so maybe not fully accurate, but like in the spirit of... You will see an Angelica slash the crew of the Thorn cosplay when we make enough from this show that I can commission <laughs> our outfits for my friend who I know would crush it, given all the ridiculous details and layering and historical embroidery and everything that Emery put into the design of the outfits. Um... So thank you for supporting us and please continue to do so and share us around the internet. And so people will know how cool this story is and we'll eventually get to, you know, dress up because we like doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and then just give me like six months to bulk up and be yeah. actual big lady. Oh, big lady. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make the mistake I made with Storyteller Squad where I made like a big buff cis man as my character. And this one, I'm like, all right, we're doing more of an egregious self-insert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was my plan too. <laughs> you guys are smart about it. Mallory has no like, <laughs> no like canonical uh, costuming stuff and just like, canonical scars that I canonically have. So I'm good. I'm set. I can do anything. Clothing items you already own. I think we just need uh, a wig that has a, a really long, like, bangs. A big poofy bangs. No, you've got to fully commit. Emery, if you're going to do it, you got to grow out your bangs. I'm sorry. I... <laughs> <laughs> and dye your hair caramel blonde. <laughs> Mallory doesn't even have to be blonde. That is not important to the character. <laughs> it's true, it's true. In fact, I think actually Mallory's hair color is black because of all the gunpowder. <laughs> Uh, all right, and I have, you know what? I have one, I know I said 10, but I have one surprise bonus question for y'all, okay? Bonus round, here we go. Is the fate of the thorn sealed? Are we gonna see them again? No, sorry. I'm retiring, sorry. I don't know, I'm kind of bored with 7C. I don't know if I want to keep using it as a system. Yeah, we didn't do enough math for me. Oh, I see. Okay, got it, got it, yeah. Yeah, I think we need a game board for Yeah, I was one. really missing the crunch and, like, expensive plastic figures to play with while telling a story, so. Mm -mm. All right, all right, well, I'll consider it. But fuck yeah, let's go, season two! Season two, baby! Season two, Fate of the Thorn. The Tafatis are coming back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's a Tafat girl summer. Cross it off your bucket list. <laughs> Can I tell everyone how hard we tried to make the acronym thought? And it just didn't work. There was no good H words. Yes. You were so close to being the Thotties, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> we tried. 
tried so hard. You're the thoughties in my heart, okay? (laughs) 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 It wanted one thing. (laughs) It's okay. You can be the thought of the writer's room. Okay. He already was. Maybe season two is not called The Fate of the Thorn. Maybe season two is like, we do go back to the heresy of the thorn. And now we're thoughties again. I think the heart of the thorn was also up in the air for a oh, while. Oh, the heart of the Ooh, thorn. I like that. Ooh, that's fun. It wasn't spicy enough for season one. Right. We needed something punchier. It's also very similar to the name of an expansion for a video game, so... Eh. Eh. That's neither here nor there. Tears of the thorndom. Tears of the thorn? <laughs> wow. that's just tots in any case to quote Angelica we are not done not by a long shot we girl you left (laughs) don't at me we can't (laughs) you're gone listen to Fadis if you want Angelica back get in the comments (laughs) oh Natalie we can't have you turning into Brennan Lee Mulligan Bold of you to assume I'm not already ascending. Oh, God. <laughs> we can't handle that much power. <laughs> oh, all right. It's happening. Whether you like it or not. Yeah, whether you want it or not, we're coming back. Oh, I am so excited. So many ideas for season two. It's going to be awesome. Oh, we're already deep in the planning. Don't you worry. We've got so many ideas. And maybe... Just maybe, you might see a few of the Fate of the Thorn characters somewhere else. But until next time... Until next time, you can watch The Adventures of Jesse and Wayland. We love those guys. Because they're coming back. Yes, they are coming back. Absolutely. They're coming right back. Yay! Pull up a comfy chair. Get your favorite dairy alternative. Oh, well, now dairy is allowed in the writer's room as so long as it's being used to cook with. <gasps> now we have Officer Melouette who is making us sweets. Interesting. So a, a, a pact was created. <laughs> yes. This is how it starts. <laughs> <laughs> the revolution lives, my comrades. The revolution. Oh, no. We will get a chai oat milk latte or death. <laughs> Guys, please, this is Greg's room. <laughs> He can hear us right now, you guys. He's he's right over there. I'm ready to fight, Gregory. He's been staring at us menacingly. I'm coming for you. Gonna have to hold him (laughs) back. (sighs) Any hoozles, everybody, thank you so much for coming along the ride with us. And of course, it's not done yet. It's not done yet. We got one more episode. I know I said this is the finale. The next episode is coming out next week. So stick around. You didn't think we'd just leave you guys like this, right? I mean, come on. (laughs) That'd just be rude. That'd be so rude. No aftercare? That'd be terrible. We know better than that. Who just fucking leaves somebody on the edge of a cliffhanger like that? God. Why are you all looking at me? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, friends. See you next time. Uh, Love you uh, and be safe and well.